Tonight, in parking lots all across America, everyone will be hearing the one important question. Will this be needing a gift receipt? Because it's game shows, I suppose. And welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing that I know something about game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. It's our Thanksgiving special, everybody. Now, of course, we could have done something like a food-based game show. Uh, There's so many cooking competition shows out there. Or we could have done something that's a little bit more about families But I figure this week it's a good episode to talk about the most important thing about Thanksgiving. That's right. It's not about the football game. It's not even about the the big Snoopy balloon at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade and all of those musicals that I have no aspirations of attending. No, no, no. It's all about the Black Friday savings, the one time of year where retailers are treated like shit. Oh, wait, no, that's every day, it turns out. But, you know, I just realized that, you know, this is an ultra-consumption-based world we live in, in America, where everything is all about buying and selling goods and services for money and devaluing the labor that goes into it. So what better game show to reel that in than shop till you drop? I know, bad example. But it's going to be a fun episode as Cindy Seidelman from Game Show Gumbo will be dropping in to, to talk about... One of the most cult-like game shows of the 1990s. But before we get to that, and before I get to a delicious turkey leg, mmm, it's time to do the news. Let's start off with the good news. So over the summer was a good time for, for game shows on ABC as they did their summer fun and games block. And uh, basically every one of those game shows is back. So Celebrity Family Feud's returning, Card Sharks is returning, yay, $100,000 Pyramid, Press Your Luck, which is casting right now, Match Game, and To Tell the Truth. Left out of the equation was Family Food Fight. Sorry, Curry, only one of your shows uh, survived the, the cut, and unfortunately, Family Food Fight did not necessarily do it. Oh, well, uh, now it's time for some bullshit with Quibi. Seems everybody these days has a show on Quibi, except for yours truly. And you know who else is getting a new show on Quibi? Quick Bites of Entertainment. Liza Koshy, former host of Double Dare. Quibi has given a green light to Floored, a comedic dance competition series with a moving dance floor hosted and executive produced by Liza On Demand star Liza Koshy. In each episode of Floored, produced by Mission Control Media, two teams of skilled dancers take on an insane dance floor with a life of its own. 
Dancers try their best to perform a pre-rehearsed routine on a floor that actually lifts, tilts, drops, shakes, and spins in time to the music. Additionally, the dancers will have to dodge obstacles that are unexpectedly thrown their way. As someone who hosts dance parties in one of their living rooms, I'm more than ready to host this one. I'm so excited to celebrate and scream for the fearless, the focused, and the flexible as they step up to the plate or floor, said Koji. In addition to Koji, Florida's executive producer by Michigan Control Media is Michael Agbon, Dwight Smith, Heath, Heath! What's up, Heath? Right, and Mary Selena. It's time to turn the dance genre on its head. Can't wait to do a comedic twist to the world of dance while still celebrating the skill and athleticism of the truly talented dancers. Um, you know, I'm just going to just go out of the limb and say, so they just made Killer Karaoke, but a dance competition show. Now, Killer Karaoke, they were kind of focused on the Oh No Snakes and Spiders and I don't know if they're going to do snakes and spiders in this. It sounds to me like this is going to be more of a wipeout kind of scenario where it's ha-ha, uh, uh, like like the musical chairs game on Ellen where the, the seats move up and then they start losing their grip and they start falling on the floor. I think that's kind of what they're going to try and go for. They're trying to go for the they wipe out because the floor is moving and they land on their ass or face. I don't even think they're going to go for the full-on scorpion of a wipeout. I think they're really just going to go for, they trip during the dance. And then as it moves, they start tilting and tumbling, uh, and, and freaking out. I think that's kind of the idea. Cause that's considered funny. Tee classic slapstick. Um, a big concern here I have, which I'm pretty sure they've already acknowledged is if you're doing a dance thing, that's just choreographed, you know, that requires a lot of footwork, a lot of arm movements, a lot of swing and dancing kind of movements that you can't really do physical feats that much if you're trying to do a dance competition show. So what happens if a contestant tweaks their ankle? Because that's all I can imagine is just someone's about to do like a twisty ankle, someone's about to do a break dance move, and then, whoops, they get bonked in the head. Uh, is there safety in play, or did they not think it all through? This is Quibi we're talking about, so I'm going to assume a limited budget too. Uh, am I going to watch it? I don't know. It's Quibi. <laughs> but uh, I guess Eliza has a new show. Hooray. Uh, I guess I got to watch it because it is a game show. But uh, it, it's it sounds to me like killer karaoke, but dancing. Oh, well. Uh, next, in the world of Price is Right news, they're celebrating the holidays with two celebrity-themed primetime specials, December 23rd and 23rd, uh, 22nd and 23rd. Because you see, The Price is Right at Night, colon, a holiday extravaganza with the cast of SEAL Team. You know, everyone's favorite CBS all-access show, SEAL Team. It's also available on CBS Network. Uh, also, The Price is Right at Night, colon, a holiday extravaganza with Seth Rogen. Uh, on Sunday, series star David Boreanaz and additional cast members from CBS's SEAL team kick off the two-night event when they welcome an audience full of active-duty military and veterans to the special primetime show. Boreanaz and cast will play for the charity Headstrong Project, which provides mental health treatment for post-9-11 veterans and their families. On Monday, actor and comedian Seth Rogen from The Lion King and Longshot will come on down to the iconic stage to play for hilarity for charity. 
the National Alzheimer's Nonprofit Foundation, founded by him and his wife, Lauren Miller Rogan, and dedicated to raising awareness, inspiring change, and accelerating progress in Alzheimer's care research and support. Uh, there'll be more primetime specials during 2020. Uh, Evelyn Warfell is the executive producer of this. Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to just stress this out, how much I actually like the Primes and Right primetime specials. I'm excited for this uh, concept of, of uh, celebrity editions because from what I remember watching the daytime versions, when they get celebrity special, they are kind of there for the entirety of the show. And they're kind of there to cheer on the contestants. They're not really the center, their center bit of the episode. So if a contestant wins the car, uh, that's exciting for the contestant. And then the celebrity gets the cash equivalent of the prize. So if they want a car that's like 30000 well, 30000 will be going to charity. I think that's kind of cute and clever. And you know what? If you can mix the celebrity with the prices right, because this is prime time, I'm going to assume off the top of my head that these episodes are going to be much higher in, in prices, uh, unless they're just going to strick up do the daytime level of, of budget, which is still fine. Uh, but it sounds to me like this is actually a very smart move by CBS. I think the uh, Price is Right primetime specials will be a success. This is a very high for the Price is Right. And you know what? David Borahanis and Seth Rogen, what's there to hate? Uh, good charity events. It's a nice charity event. Lots of great prizes. A fun hour to be had. I'll definitely be tuning into that. Uh, additionally, well, it looks to me like on there's going to be a college rivalry of episode of The Price is Right. After that highest of highs, they're going back into the well and doing another college rivals episode uh, it'll be airing real soon and they're gonna have special guest beth moens the first female broadcaster ever call a nationally televised nfl game espn's season opening monday night football doubleheader in september 2017 and she'll be a play-by-play -play for the price is right during the showcase showdown which is the big wheel the beep 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 well that's interesting um i, I guess that's fine i guess they want i guess maybe it's because cbs has the college football rights they're going to go along with this again i thought this uh this idea didn't really work because it forces one person to sit out and if one fails the other team gets the money it's it's too convoluted and it's not really in the spirit of the price is right the spirit of the price is right it's everyone's there together that doing something based off like a college rivalry kind of just misses the mark a whole lot on what makes The Price is Right uh, such a special show. Uh, so, I mean, fine, good to promote this the college football thing, but I would just have it just be, you just keep everyone there and they're just, it's a college episode if you're going to do that. Or, I don't know, make it like a Pac-10 like or, or you, you get like, you start out with the rivalries and then you add someone from another college. Something interesting. Or it would be fun if it's NFL week and then just have the teams. Because I think they also have the license in the NFL. But, oh well. It, it's, it, it's, to me, it's the worst. It was the worst prices, right? Even worse than Plinko. The all Plinko episode. So, fine, I guess. I'm, I'm not, like, going to be pissed or annoyed about this news because it's... 
any way the Price is Right can get its name across, fine. But I'm not. It's, it's going to be a, a skipped episode for me. I'm going to just watch the David Boreanaz Seth Green episode in the prime time instead. Uh, next, uh, courtesy of our friends at AOL, America Online in the UK. That's a thing. Apparently, you can get America Online in the UK. This is news to me. Uh, ITV announces the Chase spinoff with a big difference. The Chase is getting a spinoff. They'll see all five Chasers team up for the first time. ITV has commissioned Beat the Chasers, which will be hosted by Bradley Walsh in a primetime slot. Uh, Mark Labette, Paul Sinaman, uh, Sina, and Haggerty, Sean Wallace, Jenny Ryan will work together on screen. Beat the Chasers has been developed by Potato, the team behind the Chase, and part of ITV Studios. Uh, this is because they won the best quiz at the National TV Awards of 2019. Uh, Anne Haggerty competed on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out Here in 2018. Jenny Ryan competed on X Factor Celebrity this fall. May this year, Cinna was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease at the age of 49, and now she has intention to continue appearing on The Chase. Uh, the contestants are brave facing one chaser, let alone all five. Uh, with that group of top quizzing brains working as a team, it's going to take some beating, but I can't wait to see who's going to take them on. Uh, all right, chasers and you know what? <clears throat> I I'll I'll just uh, I'll 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 just turn the screw right now. I uh, I think this is fine. I think you've already have the can you beat the group of trivia experts? That's called eggheads. I think doing the chase was fine because it's not beat the eggheads because that's a group of trivia people. This is and you be a solo contestant. To drink, to do all of the people like the Iron Chefs into one go, is a nice spinoff, I guess. But you're just doing eggheads. You're just maybe you're doing a higher form version of eggheads. Maybe a more intelligent version of eggheads. Maybe a more smarter quiz show. Like this is the toughest trivia ever asked. I don't know, but to, to me, I'm I'm not really going to be excited about this but then again i'm going to go i'm just spoiling it right now i just finished watching a really bad quiz show uh that i feel like a lot of uk game shows are just trivia quiz base and they kind of don't really have a format in play it's kind of the opposite of an american game show where it's there is no trivia and it's just format um is it going to be fine i don't know Sounds interesting. I like all the chasers and have like a can one group beat the other group in it. Sounds interesting. I want to see what that format is and I want to know what's up. But before we get to that, it's time for a brand new segment. Just in time for Thanksgiving. It's time for the hot seat. Look, it was going to be called the soapbox or the vent or the anger because we always seem to do some sort of big opinionated piece that I figure if we can do an op-ed column that just out in the open, that'd be fun. So I decided to just call it the hot seat because, you know, hot is anger and I'm sitting in a chair recording this. That's that's the kind of creative timing you could expect here on game shows, I suppose. Everyone's favorite game show podcast. <laughs> Anyway, uh, today I just want to talk about uh, a video that just come came out from one Matthew Patrick. 
MatPat, if you will, from the YouTube. He's a game theorist, but not really like an actual game theorist. Like, there's no point of game theory really in his videos. And he's a film theorist, but not really in a film critique or a film analysis kind of way like a lot of people. He basically is a YouTuber who tries to put one thing to another and tries to bullshit his way into connecting the dots. He was the host of The Runner. I won money on the show. I won more money sitting on my ass than the contestants on the actual game show. He hosted that. Well, anyway, I, before I get into it, I will say right now, yes, there is a bit of a chip on the shoulder because he is more popular than I am. I, I know people are going to say that in the comments or wherever you're listening to this. You hate him because he's popular and you're not. Yes, that's actually one of the main critiques I have with MatPat right now. He has 400,000 plus subscribers on YouTube. And he is talking out of his ass about a subject matter that I don't think he's qualified in handling. There are people who I respect and admire that I poke fun of on this very show that are way more qualified in talking about game shows than he is. Just so we're clear here, I'm going to just, just hear some shout outs. We love to interrupt. They have the AKA Game Show Newsnet. They have a podcast almost every week talking about game shows. It's like two hours long and there's like a bunch of talking heads and they all have different perspectives on game shows. They're qualified to talking about this. I believe as I'm speaking, they probably already came out with an episode. Two, Buzzer Blog. Buzzer Blog is one of the big game show websites that also does op-ed. And I don't care if it's Alex. I don't care if it's Corey. I, I don't care if it's Bob or, or, or Christian. One of them can come up with a much better op-ed piece about game shows than Matt Pat. Third is my guest tonight, Cindy Seidelman. She has been covering game shows for over a decade. And on the game show Gumbo Cast, she covers it with other friend of the show, Jessica Brand. And they talk strategy about all sorts of game shows. They are both qualified to talking about this. There are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds and hundreds of people who are way more qualified in talking about the subject matter of a game show than Matthew Patrick. And I don't mean, when I mean game show, I do not mean I like deal or no deal because of the dramatic or deal or no deal is boring because it's just picking numbers. No, no, no. We're talking about the, like, breaking down a game show we're talking about what it means to create a game show and above all else the subject matter of the game show uh in this case matt pat has created a two-part series called is jeopardy rigged well it's not really just that it was it's other things too but the subtitle is is jeopardy rigged and he's trying to Bring up the and he does a shit job of, of like explaining why James Holtzauer winning a whole lot of money on Jeopardy is breaking the game and the producers rigged it so he loses and it's just it just I can't stress this enough was the shittiest thing I have ever seen in regards to game shows in my life I've seen a lot of bad things over the years. I've seen a lot of bad takes over the years. I myself have come up with really bad ideas and really bad takes. This takes the cake on a lot of bad, bad, bad opinions on game shows. 
because to me, I take game shows seriously. It's one of my, yes, I'm a funny laugh out loud guy. This is a very light show, but game shows are a genre that I take seriously enough to cover it every week. And for a, a fucking YouTuber to say, well, is Jeopardy ringed? Because, you know, the corner rat score is a little bit higher in this episode than it was a few weeks. No, no. You f- First of all, that's a statistic for you, the player at home. If you're playing along, what's the corner rat score? It's nothing to do with the difficulty of the questions. In fact, it doesn't have anything to do with the difficulty of the questions. It really is just a, a weird uh, algorithm intended to do scores. It's it's something, if you're a casual like game show person, just assume I said uh, correct answers in a game. All right. Next, he brings up difficulty of the questions. Difficulty is subjective. Not everybody knows everything. I might know a lot of pop culture stuff like movies, television show, music, even some sports, even, you know, some things in science because I I do read a lot of nonfiction books. But does that mean it's difficult if the category is literature or opera or Shakespeare and I've barely read any of that? No, it's subjective based on the contestant and what they know. And anyone who follows Jeopardy knows the criteria of what goes into a Jeopardy category stack. They don't go all pop culture. They don't go all hard research. It's a mix of everything because, uh, newsflash, uh, Jeopardy is supposed to cater towards everybody. So rather you are a kid in school just now learning about state capitals or you are, say, just a a stay-at-home dad who likes to watch Sports Center, there's going to be a subject, at least, you can vaguely play along with in an episode of Jeopardy. It's, it's going to be guaranteed to be in there. Even if you are not sure you know about music, you might know something there. If not, there's going to be clues. So Matt Pat saying something about the difficulty of the questions is a slap in the face to the tireless writers of the show. Two, the show can't be rigged. Because they have editors that look at every clue, every category. They stack it up to make sure everything is safe. No two overlap. There, There is documentaries, like 20 minutes from the Jeopardy team at Sony of what goes into a episode of Jeopardy. To rig it is to undermine the show itself. Rigging a show is illegal. And that pisses me off the way he says rigged. Game show, the game show is rigged. No, it fucking's not. It's as annoying as when someone says, a Wheel of Fortune contestant just lost all their money because of one mistake. And it's like, oh, the crossword clue because they say and? Because the unwritten rule of of, of Wheel of Fortune is you don't add anything to the puzzle. They keep bringing that up before the game is played and during the game is played with Pat, especially before a commercial break. Have you noticed a crossword puzzle is always in round two or three? That's because during a commercial break, they have to bring up like, this is going to be a crossword clue. Don't add anything to what you're about to see. They do that. Like, I don't understand rigging in game shows. It's a catch-all term that's supposed to add drama. It's, a, it's just a term that he fucking used just to try and aggregate a website 
so you can get more clicks, so you can listen to his annoying voice talk about something he doesn't know shit about. You see, a game show can be rigged. In fact, there has been shown modern times game shows being rigged. For starters, uh, Our Little Genius nearly wiped out Fox if it aired because at one point... Mark Burnett had his game show where they had little kids learn about astrophysics in against PhD geniuses in the same subject. Essentially, it's a reverse fifth grader if you haven't figured it out. But the producers ahead of time kind of try to etch out what the subject matter is going to be about, such as we're going to learn about calculus, we're going to learn about the moons of Neptune. Something like that was going to be there. And a whistleblower broke it, and they froze the entire production. They couldn't air it. If they did, they would have lost a shitload of money. Jeopardy! is a game show that came out because of the game show scandals of the 50s. The very fabric of the show when it first debuted was, this is the game show where you get all the answers. Because there was still that shock and suspense of a quiz show in the time period because of things like 21 and Tic-Tac-Doe. So I do not understand it. He gets his facts wrong. NBC was the starting point of Jeopardy, but it got ended. And then it went into syndication with Alex Trebek. I don't even think he knows there is more than one host of Jeopardy at its lifetime. Does he know who Art Fleming is? I don't think so. Alex Trebek hosted the syndicated version from the 80s. That is a syndicated show. This distributor is CBS. Its company is Sony. NBC has no involvement whatsoever. He gets his facts wrong. He tries to spin it in a way that goes, well, you see, because I go to the website and I know this, this is what happened. And this is why, no, no, here, here's what happened. Uh, <clears throat> James is just good at the game, and he played a strategic game by foresting the, the the floor to get the daily doubles. So then he can double his money to a point where he basically is in is it can't really lose when he goes into final jeopardy. So when he goes to final jeopardy, he makes a safe bet, and while he still gets the correct answers, he has enough money to basically continue on. So sometimes it's 40,000, sometimes it was 80,000, sometimes it was six figures. It didn't matter. It was what was enough for him to continue because he's really good at trivia. He is actually one of the biggest trivia quiz champions out there. He goes to the Conda almost every year. So I don't know where he is pulling this shit out of his ass. I had to basically create this whole segment blasting him because He's going to basically solely a game show just to get clicks and views on a subject matter he is not qualified in figuring out. And by the looks of things, just look towards Wikipedia and the J Archive for details. Even then, he hasn't figured out that a game show like Jeopardy is not, cannot, and will not be rigged. He said that in the means of trying to shock you into clicking a link and most likely duping his audience into believing the case. It's not. And before we get to it, I don't care if he's going to use the, the views of this to donate to a children's charity or all that. 
because like in one part yay hooray for the kids all that at the other time think of all the damage he can cause to a show that's currently you know one of the biggest game shows in all of america i am i don't want to say anything but i just want to say maybe the runner is rigged matt Pat had a cell phone at the time when pokemon go was around What's stopping him from calling one of these contestants up and telling him, uh, hey, look out, the the chasers are going to catch you and then you'll lose. What's stopping the chasers from, from getting a call from MatPat? Hey, the runner is going to be in Venice Beach, California. No, no, like, this makes no sense. He lives in a world of obscurity. He lives in a world of paranoia. And this video he has created is dangerous. I will flat out say dangerous in a world where I have to hear is a game show rigged almost every other week. A game show can't be rigged. There's standards and practices in place. There's lock-in mechanics in play. That's why you hear things like Final Answer on Millionaire. There is these things. When you see Jeopardy, they have a ringing mechanism. Why is the rec locking mechanism there? Because they can't just shout out the answer. I, I don't understand why he did this other than, eh, well, I'm running low on content. I uh, just, you know, Alex Trebek's in the news. Jeopardy greatest of all time in January. I think I'll make this video. To me, it's, it's a disaster. It's and I have lost a lot of, of appreciation for what Matt Pat did in YouTube, and this came across as just lazy, uh, uninformed, and above all else, something that's not in his wheelhouse. If you want someone to talk game shows, uh, just named a few already. That being said, uh, I welcome anyone from We Love to Interrupt or game show gumbo cast to stop on by and talk game shows sounds like a lot of fun oh wait we actually are going to have someone from game show gumbo cast in fact it's right now Normally, I can come up with a nice explanation about Shop Till You Drop, because this is Black Friday. This is the time of year when everyone goes out, pretends they're buying overpriced stuff, and then they are not giving it as a gift. They're keeping it for themselves. Shop Till You Drop is a game show set in a faux shopping mall uh, featuring a lot of classic games, a lot of great challenges. And essentially, it was a piece of iconic television that debuted in the 1990s. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Shop Till You Drop with one of the experts in game shows that I brought up in the earlier hot seat, Cindy Seidelman. That being said, let's turn the tables. 
With me on the line is the host of Game Show Gumbo and the Gumbo cast. Let's give it up for Cindy Seidelman. Hello. Oh, this is the, uh, we're doing OSW review now, Cindy? No, because I didn't do it like that. Because OSW's like, hello, and welcome to OSW Review, the old school wrestling video podcast, filmed in glorious grapple vision and encoded with brass processing. This is your host, your boy, Jay Hunter. <laughs> well, this is technically kind of like an old school uh, review, only instead of wrestling, <laughs> it's a game it's show. Game shows, I suppose. Is... Hey, that'd be a good name for a podcast. Thank you. I should do some splicey, splicey over an episode, <laughs> and it should be good. Uh, <laughs> so this week's episode, it's in honor of everyone's favorite holiday, Black Friday. Uh, we are talking about the classic game show, Shop Till You Drop. <laughs> are we forced to sing the theme song for the 2003 version? If you Okay, let's do it. <clears throat> Shop Till You Til Drop. Till You Drop. It's a game full of prizes and a few surprises. So if you love to shop, come on and play. Shop till you drop. Shop till you drop. You can win a great vacation. You'll have a celebration. So if you love to shop, come on and play. Shop till you drop. Alright, so we'll get before we get into like what God is nerds. this show. <laughs> There's a lot of origin stories with Shop Till You Drop. Uh, yeah. For instance, the pilot was not hosted by Pat Finn. It was instead... Hosted uh, by a guy named Scott Harrion? Yes. Uh, and the set. Scott Harriet, and it was this real cheap set that was full of, I would say, really bad facades. Yeah. Um, it's like they... It was not... It looked like a mall, but it didn't look like a mall. It looked like the mall, a mall backdrop you would use if you were going to do a commercial for shopping at a mall, like for a credit card. Like, if you're going shopping, make sure to pick up a Visa credit rewards card. Uh, yep. And, of <laughs> course, and the noted part of this, which is why I have to bring it up, is the podiums were repurposed from, from Funhouse. Yeah, because here's the story with Funhouse. Funhouse had gotten to Fox, and then this is the this is the fourth repurposing of the buzzers. Because it was Funhouse, College Madhouse. Madhouse. Uh, it went back to Funhouse because they changed sets. Then they repurposed them again because they went to Fox and they had the purple buzzers. And then they repurposed them again for this pilot. Now, the pilot was basically the kind of a format to what would become the shop till you drop so nothing really changed much uh right. the easiest way to explain it is <clears throat> here i'm going to read the the, the the rules if you've never seen shop till you drop before we'll go by the original mall rules first and then we'll do warehouse <clears throat> shop till you drop is a game about wise decisions and wise uh popular culture as two teams of two compete to be the top shopper in the first round the first team gets to decide if they want to pass or play on one game. If they complete the task, which is a typical beat-the-clock style challenge based around pop culture or shopping skills, they'll get 100 points and get to go shopping in the mall by shopping in one of the seven stores on the bottom floor of the mall. Of the yep, seven, there are two floors, seven each. 
One of the prizes is the Shopper Special, which is a bonus prize, which is a small trip as well. Yeah, somewhere like San Francisco, uh, Ojai, uh, or Mesquite, Nevada. The one I think was the best, or Vegas, or Mesquite, Nevada. One time I saw Reno, and I laughed. Yes, kill a man Reno just to watch him die. <laughs> so, it, it, and in round two, it's uh, repeat the process, but for 200 points... Uh, but, but with Team 2 getting the, the side of pass or play, Round 3 yep. is the Shopper's Challenge round, where it's all about pop culture with a 60-second timer and 50 points each. The most points uh, wins and goes on to the final round called Shop Till You Drop. Mm-hmm. And then in Shop Till You Drop, they get, I believe it was, well, I don't know if it was in the pilot, 7 or 6? Six? 6. 6 packages. It's always 6. It's always 6, and they can either keep the prize, and they get to see the prize, or they can trade it kind of like you would do in a shopping mall like you know like exchange oh i don't like this Mm -hmm. for something else in the mall now in this round they get to use all of the stores all 14 uh and they basically have i think two minutes to shop till they drop or no they don't have nice they have yep they have a minute 30 minute 30 and they have to rub the stairs and then they give it to the assistant we're not going to say the names because there was a bunch of them uh, one of them is more notorious than the other, but the other one's also more notorious in a different field. Uh, then they have to ring in the bell, which I thought was the funniest part. Bing. Uh, and then it, after the 90 seconds, they go through the list. And if the total of prizes is more than $1,000 in season one or 2500 in any other version, uh, they win the prizes and they get to and they get a dream vacation to where, Dean? <laughs> to Honolulu! <laughs> and this was a, a, a I would say this is another cultural artifact of a game show a lot of people yeah. when they when they think of a, like the 90s game show uh, the first thing that springs to mind is, shop, is uh, Supermarket Sweep and, and, yep. and notably so but this was a unique game show of the 90s mm-hmm. and was paired well enough for most of its year I remember it, of course it being on Lifetime in its first run and then yep, on the Family Channel <laughs> from 96 to 98 and the only reason it got canceled was because fox bought the channel and decided to cancel everything in favor of their much better lineup like outrageous and i can't believe you said that and then we go on to packs from 2000 till about 2005 and then eventually uh, let's end and in that version it had a different format and by mm-hmm. way of instead of physical beat the clock challenges, it was basically played on a television monitor, and it was a mm-hmm. lot of AB games. Uh, and instead of a shopping mall, it was played in a warehouse, similar to that of like a Sam's Club or a Costco. Mm-hmm. What would be the 2010s variant of? Well, we had the mall, which was 80s and 90s. I then oh, you would jump straight into the modern reboot version if I did it. No. Uh, well, maybe, but we'll get about that later. Because, like, I would say, like, a modern reboot would either be a superstore, or it would have to be like a probably an online shopping warehouse. Like, a, like imagine if the contestants were running in the Amazon warehouse, but there so was like some sort of reuse... element of like online shopping, like a big monitor as well. So you just reuse the two thousand the the warehouse set. The megastore set, it's still the same thing. Yeah, so you just, remember, uh, you, but instead it's capital. now more industrial, I would say. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on. Uh, so, so that was basically Shop Till You Drop. And the games, we can go all day talking about the games. A lot of them were mm-hmm. like, 
uh, find what's in, like what's inside the box challenges or figure out the celebrity by the three items based on the movies they were in to like we broke a gadget can you figure out what the gadget was before we destroyed it and put it in they put it in ice and they also had like but you're talking about challenges and later on uh, you're forgetting about the challenges where they actually had mall centric challenges in the early days um, and we're not talking about born lucky here <laughs> no 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 uh, that's another show we can do oh no I'm not, oh no i don't want to do that you get a thousand dollar gift card to glendale gallery <laughs> <laughs> 2000 by the way it's 2000 oh wow thanks bob goen you're a real pal <laughs> hey two thousand dollars back in 1991 you know that would I mean, I think have to, like buy a treadmill or buy a fitness yeah like especially if you see shop to you drop prizes and some of these prizes were like you know michael c fina tiffany watches uh but Man, what i like most about watches. shop to but with but I liked it because there's two different versions of this. It's the mm-hmm. mall version, which I say is the quintessential. Because if you're shopping till you drop, you usually think of shopping mall. Yeah. And season one, yeah, was still kind of like a dopey '90s version. But as the seasons progressed, more and more, it kind of did look like a, a mall. A like mall. there were patio furniture with extras sitting on set to assume like it's like a mm-hmm. food court, <laughs> cheering people on. Yep. And there's a reason that it did that. Why is that? Because the second season, when they taped, was when they had the L.A. riots. Ooh. And there's a clip on YouTube with a um, somebody who was actually in the uh, audience. Well, not necessarily the audience, but they sat in the uh, upper row. And they sat at the tables, him and his kid. Um, they got there before the riots hit, and they had taped like five shows that day. So they were allowed to stay. They were on set and they were doing the clapping. This was around the time when they realized that the show was better off canned, having canned applause than having the audience a live was never really audience. shown. There was no real The audience was shown a couple in a couple of seasons. The early season, the first season in 1991, um, they showed the audience because they had it really close. Um, and then in 1994, when they moved for the one season, they moved to Universal Studios uh, Hollywood, and they did audience games with the uh, with the audience. They did audience games with a couple members of the audience, and there would just be little games that Mark would do with the audience, like uh, rate your husband's haircut, and they would hold up numbers, and if they matched, they would get like a shop you drop T-shirt or hat or Universal T-shirt or hat or something like that. It's just some of the things that I remember from watching uh, the Lifetime episodes or when the Lifetime episodes actually re-ran on PAX, the 1994 episodes. It's, uh, it's a fascinating show. And also sweetening with the audience also is kind of funny because I was just watching the Wrestling with Regret about some of these like promotionals when they have like, the studio audience and they use the crowd sweetener. Mm-hmm. So I'm so so just seeing so like hearing about the sweeners it's like I bet they use the same sound wave and everything that wah, wah. they called it the dirty seagull pulp pop in OSW review because <laughs> it does sound like a seagull mm-hmm. uh, and, <laughs> and the games are just I love the games here and I think what I like most is it it actually probably had the largest selection of mini games more than like supermarket sweep more than uh, prices right and were very clever games that i really did enjoy 
And the fact that they were playing mostly four games and then the speed round, which is just trivia, uh, it gave a nice diversity in terms of the gaming. So you never know if you were going to do like a vacuum cleaner, beat the clock kind of game or a Mm -hmm. stack the hat game or a true or false game. Or a pricing game where you had to determine what price of like you would have like there's this uh, Toriador game like uh, you were writing uh, you one the man the man was right was wearing a bull helmet and the uh, woman would ride the bull would he would look into two prices and they would have to pick which one was the right one for the prize and if you got three out of four right you won and they did a lot of variants on that as well or throwing uh, fish over a wall or eggs over a wall and into a bucket. And you were saying, what does this have to do with shopping? You're pricing items. You're pricing the items. Uh, and then, of course, it's the, if you don't want to think about the, the you're pricing the items, think about if you win, you go shopping in the mall. Mm-hmm. And one of the more and iconic parts is the store names, right? 24 carats. Uh, I'm going to have to go off the top of my head right now. So there's 24 carats... Uh, there is gifts, gifts galore. Von Schiffendecker's furniture. Uh, there was the, there was I think there was Shea Gourmet, which was the cooking stuff. Yep. Uh, Circuit Center. Heidi's Housewares. RCA RCA BMG Music and Video. Yeah, they actually sometimes did have sponsored stores. Only a couple of times they did, but they had sponsored stores. Okay, um, the let me uh, season... check. I'm now looking at, I'm, I'm peeking. I'm actually stealing from the wiki. All right, so Circuit Center, Gifts Galore, mm-hmm. Andrea's Art Mart. 24 Later, tickets. Andrea's Art Attack. Uh, which are all, by the way, all the names come from people who work on the show. So the mm-hmm. Art Attack was the art director. Uh, I think Sue was the like actually like a production manager. Or researcher for Sue's... It would have to be a researcher, you know, Sue's Book Nook. Sue's Book Nook. Uh, Which was never ben- chosen. Leslie's House of Music. Uh, Global Wonders. Uh, Gary's Gadgets. Decker Marcus Department Store. Which- store. <laughs> what? Uh, a Bob couple of production managers for Decker and Marcus. Uh, no, they're, you got right. They, they just switched the names up. Shutterbug. Good Sports. Then renamed to Locker Room. No, uh, but... The camera shop. Shutterbug became Bob and Steve's camera shop. For? Uh, Scott, Bob and Scott Stone. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to have you do that one before the, the way, awful, also, awful split up. By the way, Gary's Gadgets, named after Scott Stone's husband, Gary Scott. Whoa, I never knew that part. Now that's a great one. Uh, yeah, the thing is, and also Gary Scott also did all the music. Like, uh, have you talked about Legends of the Hidden Temple yet? No, um, we have not. Uh, but feel free to bring in some some facts about that. Okay. Um, in the Legends of the Hidden Temple credits, you see the music machine. Music by the music machine? Yes. That's actually Gary Scott. Is, is that just like a stage name or is that his company? No, um, that was what Gary Scott kind of dubbed his music because a lot of it was music he had already done. But one of the things about um, Gary Scott is that a lot of the music was repurposed from Shop was Shop to Your Drop because a lot of the cues and everything were taken from uh, Funhouse and College Madhouse because the theme of Shop to You Drop until 1994 was originally the College Madhouse theme. He just tinkered with it a little bit. And the same thing with uh, 
the bonus game music, which was the repurposed uh, Madhouse theme when they did the Madhouse uh, Endgame. Now imagine if instead of grabbing the boxes, they just had to grab tags, and the tags were in like different rooms. Like like one was like what looked like a bunch of toilets, and they had to put their hands in a toilet. And one was in like a fake food ca- cafeteria, and then the food was thrown at them. Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Or in a tumbling uh, tube. Tumbling tube. What my favorite part about the fact of College Madhouse, which I forgot to go into, is they didn't really change that much of the funhouse itself. <laughs> So it's kind of funny seeing people who are like they just made the end game harder. It was just, but it's like it's funny seeing like people twice the height of the kid go through the same tube. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To me, that was funny. Uh, Right, and I'll say this: the end game was harder. Oh, it was because yeah, it wasn't just like here's the prizes you win. No, it's you have to grab all the prizes. You have to grab every tag in order to win the grand prize, which was like a vacation to you know ski vacation in Vermont or. A trip to Florida on spring break or something like that. Uh, <laughs> which I thought was, it's an interesting look, because it's, it's mm-hmm. basically, this is, because this was, this and Legends are the two big game shows of the 90s, both credited to Stone Stanley. Yeah, and but, it was sort of a uh, Hail Mary, by the way, for Stone Stanley. It was? Wow. Um, and let me explain why. Um, because 1990 was a terrible year for Bob Stone, for Scott Stone, because everything that he had built up, he had College Madhouse at the time we talked about in Funhouse, but he was also producing Freddy's Nightmares in syndication, based off the Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep, and that got canceled. College Madhouse got canceled. Funhouse got canceled. He threw a hail mary to be on Fox, and. It only lasted 22 episodes. Uh, a few years ago, the whole run was on YouTube because somebody had recorded all 22 episodes. And around that time, I think he also had a uh, Gonzo Games on USA, and that was a failure. Uh, and then don't forget, later on, I believe he was also behind Happy Hour. No, that was Lighthearted Entertainment. Please, thank you. Thank uh, Lighthearted Entertainment is the people who did uh, the Big Date for USA, and they also did Sex Wars. They also did the Moment of Truth. Which is what they're most famous for. Of the big date and the moment of truth. Yeah, let's talk about the people who uh, were on camera. In addition to Pat Finn, who served as basically like I guess you can say like the store manager, because because mm-hmm. he, he was not trying to be host. When when we think game show host, you know, it's the suit, it's the hey, Jay, welcome to the game. He was trying to play more of like a manager type, like someone who's like the custodian of the mall. Mm-hmm. Like, and then it's his assistant, and it was always a he, which I found amazing, uh, that served as basically the lackey, almost like the second banana. Mm-hmm. And the first one was Antiques Roadshow's own, Mark L. Wahlberg. Wahlberg, yep. <laughs> and the funny thing was, he was also the announcer on the pilot. And, and another thing about Stone Stanley is that he was also doing Team Win, Lose, or Draw, and that also got canceled. And this was Mark L. Wahlberg's, like, I don't know if this is his First or second or third? Like, this is his early years of game showing. Uh, he was busy because he was hosting Gonzo Games, and then he did Shop Q Drop, and he would be the warm-up guy for studs, It was believe it or not. And he basically was not being Mark Wahlberg. He was kind of being like this... Like the the schlubby kid, it's like, hi Pat. Well, I'm doing this, and all hype. And he had a bunch of characters, and most of the time it was just let's put Mark L. Wahlberg in drag, and then no, Mark Wahlberg was never in drag. 
Oh no, was it D then? Am I getting confused? That was D. All right. Yeah, you're getting ahead of you're getting ahead of yourself because Mark Wahlberg was always the straight man, and he always wore normal clothes and basically would help put blindfolds and get everything set up like vacuums and all this good stuff. Party hats. Well, a lot of time I remember party hats. Uh, yeah, to pop balloons and stuff like that. And then, um, uh, then I oh, apparently I I'm for, we're forgetting about Jason Grant Smith, ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, he was a one-season wonder. I have no idea where he came from. Like, I'm looking him up right now on Google, and he is just basically... He was known for playing uh, Crewman Fletcher in the pilot episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Kids, remember that show? Kids, remember? Remember that? Also, he's they're really promoting I Voted. Mm-hmm. And a lot of voiceover work, which it makes sense if he was a voice actor. So apparently, he was known as Clapper on Coach. Who cares about Clapper? He was also a couple episodes on Beverly Hills Naito as ER Doctor, Maitre D, and Frank. Oh man, when you get to be the Maitre D, like the waiter in Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero, you know you have made it. Your career. You're mm-hmm. made in the shade. Uh, yep. So one hit. So basically, one season and then you're done. I don't know why. Uh, and then replaced with a much more important uh, narrator, a more important announcer, uh, Old Mac. D. Bradley Baker. By the way, going back to Jason Grant Smith, uh, he does better as a voice actor. Listen to these up. This uh, bunch of uh, things. Deadpool, Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials, Fantastic Four, Donald Planet Apes, it, 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 X-Men, Days of Futures Past, Stoker, Marmot. All right, he's better off forgotten. I mean, you you had me with Deadpool and then X-Men, Days of Future Past, and then you lost me with Marmaduke. <laughs> well, Days of Futures Past was pretty bad. I, no, wait, I saw X-Men Apocalypse in theaters. Yeah, that, that was the third one in the, mo- in the movie, second movie trilogy, and that was pretty bad. So deep. Bradley Baker, which uh, they already have working relationship with because of Legends. This was ninety seven, yep. and he was doing voice. He was still at that time pretty big in the voiceover community because he did a lot of voiceover. Now, he if did we a want- lot of cartoons, <laughs> Cindy, you want to go through all of D. Bradley Baker's work? <sighs> okay, let's. Uh... Oh Jesus! Well, he's on American Dad. He's Klaus he's the Fish. New- <laughs> he's-, he's Klaus the Fish. All right. Uh, he's also on Phineas and Ferb because he was Perry the Platypus. He does a lot of animal roles. If it's not Frank Welker, it's Deep Baker. Uh, he's He was also Daffy Duck in uh, Space Jam. There you go, folks. Daffy Duck from Space Jam was on a game show. Please ignore uh, Porky Pig being the host of Jep. Bob Bergen. <laughs> So yes, the the voiceover world. So now I guess this and we, we we were going to go into game shows into. Uh, <laughs> Pro wrestling, but I guess it's also a connection to voiceover work too, in terms of D. Bradley Baker. Uh, Big Hero Six, the series. He was Mayoi Negaglobby. He was Bubba the Cave Duck in the new Ducktales. What? This is. I'm getting excited here. Uh, he was also on Star versus the Forces of Evil. He he was Bald Eagle. He was Giant Spider. Folks, like he was Beautiful Joe. That's all you need to know. He was the Beautiful Joe. <laughs> Yep. If you don't want to know anything else, he was beautiful Joe. Like, 
there's so many, and all the stuff that we just listed, or I just listed, was from this past two years. He gets a lot um, of work, and he is very talented, and he does some of his voice work on the on the show. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got confused because of the drag. He would play P- Pat's grandma, for instance. Grandma Curmudgeon. That was the first character he did um, because when he came on in 97, he was himself. And then he started to do more characters before the show ended. That's when he would bring out Grandma Curmudgeon and the Toreador. And then when the show got revived in 2000, they just went ham uh, with these characters. There's D-Zyner, D-Trainer, Vanna D. Get it? Because his name is D. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, <laughs> and then... And D-Zyner was a low... Was a, a down-low favorite of mine because he would act like this, you know, over-the-top, like, I'm a genius sort of thing. He'd be like, Yes, Patrick! You know, I have the new, latest design and my man will look fabulous! If only Bradley Baker uh, had his own store in the mall. I bet it would be something that sold, sold like, it was like a, like, kind of like one of those uh, Harry and David gift bags of, of snacks, and it'll be called D's Nuts. Boo! You should feel embarrassed for yourself. D's Nuts. Oh, wow, you got a bunch of peaches and apples for $200. Ding! <laughs> I mean, they did have a Harry and David gift basket from time to time, so I can't really. Yep. <laughs> uh, gotta think. Gotta think. Peak nineties uh, stuff. That's the thing I kind of like was was really shocked by, because when they did but the big again, shop till you drop final round, mm-hmm. it was usually like, yeah, it's your your classic, you know, furniture, uh, coat. Uh, here's like a blender, but then sometimes, like especially in like the electronic section, it was like. Either a Columbia Record House deal, or I remember once in the, like the later part, the DVD player, like when it was first really new. The laser. They also had laser disc players when they were on Lifetime. VC, they, they would have VCRs, laser disc players, and it's like these are really cool items. And plus, I, I kind of like the idea of they get to go to the store and pick an item. Because when it comes to, like the prize grab, sometimes it's like you know what, I really just want something in like. In, in the kitchen, and I really want something for the bedroom. I really want something instead of like, yeah. here, you're, you're forced to have this. You're forced to take the jewelry. This is the show that's like, you don't really, if you don't want the jewelry, you can just trade it in for something that's in the art mart. Mm-hmm. Or uh, J&B sports of all sorts. Which I thought was fun because it's always like golf clubs or tennis rackets or... Or like a, a mini bike. Or, or a an actual, bicycle. An, the actual bike. Uh, when they played those oh. fun background musics like that, I forgot which one. I'm pretty sure the sound machine. It was that do 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 That part. That, that, just me. I like that. It, the music is yep. just so calming and nice, mm-hmm. and complete with the '90s. Everyone always talks about like '90s graphics. They always think of like the triangle and like the wavy thing, and it, I call that mm-hmm. bedsheet. But Shop Till You Drop, they, I think they really did have the 90s graphics because it was the year of the computerized marble. And that was a majority of the time was mm-hmm. computerized marble. Yep. And um, what I also loved about the graphics, you know, they were simple. I mean, they didn't need to overcomplicate everything. 
No, you could easily read the graphics. No, what if we get impact font? What if we get Euro? What if we do the uh, hexagon? You know that I love trapezoids. Let's do the trapezoids in the modern day reboot. Uh, no, in this version, it was like all they did was like here is purple marble font, and then like one of those small serif fonts that makes it that you'd normally see in a jewelry store for the price tag. Yep, that's all they needed. <laughs> Also, they got rid of the, I forgot to say, the pilot only had the Funhouse uh, scoreboard. Uh, when yeah. they went into the modern version, it was better. It was like a nice, chic carpet. It was a carpet. They had carpet, now that I think about yeah. it. And it was a simple buzzer. Maybe they'd have some plants. It was the first two, Between Two Ferns game show. <laughs> uh, it was, But it was like a simplistic metal pole with a small scoreboard and then like a light up that displayed the names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all you need. It wasn't like a TV. It was like classic. Like I think it was a Ven. It was a Ven. It was Ven. A vein. A vein. Uh, and then it's just yeah, like, vein And it's name and classic name cards. Classic car- uh, host carrying question cards. A nice stylish carpet that looked shaggy, like looked modern and sleek. I mm-hmm. can't think of any other game shows that had carpet. Now that I think about it, modern day. No. Uh- I can't either, because let me wreck my brain. Because Shop to Drop, I think, is the last game show to have carpet. Yeah, because everything else was either laminate or hardwood. Laminate hardwood, like Celebrity Name Game, Hollywood Game Night. Yeah. Uh, Pictionary, I think, had carpet. Pictionary had the big rug. Yeah, Pictionary had a rug, so that counts. All right, you count big rug? All right. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I'll take a big rug. Well, then if we go Big Rug, then you can count, I guess, Hollywood Game Night. Yeah, Hollywood Game Night, because that's actually taking place inside somebody's, like, uh, Jane Lynch's penthouse apartment. Which takes its cue from Win, Lose, or Draw, because yeah. of... There are a lot... I think Jane Lynch, if Win, Lose, or Draw were to come back again, I think Jane Lynch would say, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I already do Hollywood Game Night. I'm good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would watch that, by the way. I would watch a reboot of Win, Lose, or Draw with Jane Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the show ends in 2002 and we're all frowny face sad. Well, here's what happened in 2002. It got canceled, but they had done 800 episodes. It was the end of a taping cycle. And the funny thing is like the staff, it was like, sure. It didn't get the highest ratings, but it keep on getting renewed. Like it would always keep on getting renewed because it was so cheap to produce. It's cheap to uh, produce, good product placement. It's a very mm-hmm. harmless show. Like I can't think of the only thing I can think of is like the couples they would get on would probably have more same sex inclusion these days. If it was brought on, okay. but other than that, like yeah. it was very harmless. It is a family show. It's a family show. It was lighthearted and fun, and it just kind of when I it got canceled, it was kind of like a what 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 uh huh. <laughs> And then it's like, but this, I'll say this about how Pat Finn signed off on the finale. They didn't have a finale for the first run in life. The second run they did because they knew they were getting canceled. The, he said, uh, this is the end of a taping cycle. There'll be another show Monday. And he would just say thank you to everyone. And the end of the family channel run, everybody came out on stage. Like a lot of the behind staff crew and even one of the camp, except for like a camera guy or two, but one of the camera guys would show his face and be like, ah, uh, pan everybody. <laughs> yep. 
He is the second person in recorded history to take a selfie. The first person is Sonny Ono in WCW. That's that's now that's a true fact. Uh, also, we should point out Pat Finn is a consummate professional. Uh, yep. He is he currently now does behind the scenes work in the world of game shows. He's still working today. Mm-hmm. What's he doing now? Okay, so uh, last time I checked. He did. He was doing the secret agent challenge for the for the DreamWorks Television. Um, Interesting. I've never heard of that. It's, it was kind of like a nine minute uh, series. He also, I believe, uh, also does a lot of. Whoop, wrong person. There we go. It's on Amazon. Just to let everybody know it's on Amazon Prime. Um, two junior spies work together on one mission to solve the clues that lead to their secret prize. Um, like the seven. Ep- These are full shows, by the way. Yes, and, and I, they're self-contained, and I kind of enjoy them. It was kind of like a fun beat the clock kind of finish up the words kind of thing. Uh, he also does a lot of infomercials, I think, these days too. Uh, mm-hmm. but when they got rid of the mall, they replaced it with the new shop till you drop, featuring. Yep. Uh, did it with the mega store. They now have the Costco. The Costco Sam's Club. Do 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 Pat Finn is gone and replaced with Cindy's favorite game show host, JD Roberto. Yeah, right. Just be thankful it's not Pat Bullard. You win. I'd rather take him over Pat Bullard, by the way. JD Roberto is is very a very sweet man, so I can't really like knock him out that much. Um, this was his uh, attempt at a game show host, uh, and in this version, they didn't really do any physical stunts. It was just A-B questions. Right, and for J.D. Roberto, this was his... 2003. This was his fourth attempt at hosting a game show. Oh, no. Uh, oh, that's right. Fuck. I just remembered the one show before that he hosted. He did um, Flamingo Fortune. He did a lottery show in Florida. Which Pat Finn also did because of the big spin. Uh, yeah, he did big spin. Uh, he replaced uh, Jack Gallagher in California. And basically, Pat Finn, during the 2000 run, he was doing two shows. Pat Finn was. Then he would do shop, was... drop, and then do big spin. You lie like a dog. And I might be getting my dates wrong, but he also did Outback Jack for TBS. Oh, don't forget. I was thought you were going to talk about uh, some of the other ones because the one I I thought you were going to bring up was the one I kind of vomited. Are you hot? The search for America's sexiest people. Oh, that's right. He did that too in two thousand, the summer of two thousand three. Now that's what Sapperist. That's a game show. So (laughs) welcome to my world now. You made the switch. You 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 made the switch from from the garbage to the gumbo. Mm-hmm. Because I think it, you need more positivity, and the world of game yeah. shows is more positive now. We're trying to share the love of game shows. Well, you're, and you had well, to bring up one of the worst shows in existence. And are you hot? Well done. While you're exiting and off to better pastures, I now have to jump in the shit. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> what kind of trade off is this, Cindy? Uh, so also, game shows. I suppose year nine. <laughs> yep. Are you hot? Um, well, you also talked about game shows, I suppose, year five, the grudge match. I already did that one. Uh, Billy Zane. <laughs> Brian? Brian! Get on the Billy show. Billy Zane, dude! 
<laughs> no, he's probably going to do a Chris Jericho game show. Moran Zane, let's do a robot uh, combat league. Or downfall, or he's going to do tough. No, he'd probably do tough enough with it. We just tough enough was uh, was on the twenty. Oh, somebody but already claimed tough enough. Talk about tough enough. <laughs> Get out of my ring. <laughs> Give me or your Hulk belt. Hogan's or Hulk Hogan's celebrity championship wrestling. Oh god, no, no, god, fuck. <sighs> I have all the episodes. To, oh yeah, I should probably bring out to to. Uh, the listeners, Cindy has been a longtime contributor to this podcast because if there was a show I couldn't find or I had to scour and it's like impossible, uh, she would be the first one I reach out to uh-huh. uh, to get an episode. <laughs> and I, Cindy, I don't know how you do it. You have like almost everything. <laughs> Wild I've been Showdown, uh, <laughs> Gladiator 2000. It's, it's, well, I've been trading since 1999. And I know you had Adam Needif on the show earlier. Adam um, is... Talk about your favorite show, Scrabble. No. Or, and uh, he was the first trade. Adam is also a, a best-selling novelist. And I kind of... If, if I'm... I suppose he is... I definitely know Lock It In Final Answer. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just... Because as you can tell from this podcast, I sometimes flub the facts. Um, but Yeah, but that's half the fun. But the but with the with this warehouse fun because I guess that's a new way people shop and, and they no longer did stairs it was now down a corridor and I don't know if it's because it would be cheaper because folks it's a studio set looks like a giant warehouse yeah and um, the set was made longer it was made longer so they go down the corridor uh, the same gifts they still have to grab and the the gift boxes still look the same <laughs> and some of them were hidden by the way. Fitted? Oh, hidden. Oh, yes. yeah, because the television, for instance, was in the far back corner. Mm-hmm. So instead of, like, the 14, I believe they jumped it up to a bit more, I think? No, it was 14. You had your aisle. You had your normal sections, which was 12. There were only 14 shoppable sections. Okay. Um, you had your stuff that was in the normal aisles, but there was stuff on, like, if you're watching the TV, there's stuff on the right-hand side. There were a couple of miscellaneous ones like gifts and big savings you know what i liked was it had to be flashing lights so that was the rule it had to be a, a aisle with a flashing light right for the front game the shopper special and when they did the shopper special now i think like they had to run down the corridor grab the box kind of like the the the, the shop to drop around mm-hmm. and then bring it back which i find makes no sense at all there's no need no um but you got the Chase music. It was like this weird techno that was like too loud. Oh, you're back. Back. You went to music and more. And what do we got here? Oh, and this is what gets me. Surprise that really rocks, Don. That's a Gibson guitar. Gibson guitars. All sorts of classic guitars from fresh to classic from Gibson. Okay, we need to talk about. Oh, the no. puns. The poems? The puns. The puns? Okay. Like, that was his hosting puns, style, was puns. The puns were so bad that it would make Ben Zeke cringe. Oh, in front of a show, Ben's. <laughs> yep. Um, like, there would be, like, a lamp prize. Like, uh, but to show that it's a lamp, they'd have a lampshade. Like, and he would go, oh, here's a prize that's made in the shade, done. It's a collection of fine lamps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the Scrabble. It's basically the Scrabble clues 
brought to life. No, it's not even that because at least those clues were kind of clever. <laughs> I don't know what like, you're talking about. I just see like what... building on the letter I, seven letters. They did a lot of their business in hardware. Knights. Hey, Don, looks like we're really cooking here. Ugh. A mareware cookware. Well, that's yours to keep no matter what happens. <laughs> and you know how Howie Mandel is kind of the, the stereotype for the pregnant pause in between opening, telling somebody to open the case where we'll be right back? Mm-hmm. J.D. Roberto abused that. Well, Sydney, you need 1200 bucks or more in these next three boxes if you want that trip to Waikiki. Let's see what's no, in no. this box. No, no, no. Here's how he did it. No, it wasn't that. It was the revealing of the price was the uh, pregnant pause. And this is where it got really bad. Okay. On a certain episodes, it'd be like this. All right. You got all these great prizes. You got the guitar earlier. And you got the you got the dinnerware in the front game. But this item has to be $804. It's a tall order. <laughs> your Hatteras had it. Your Hatteras hammock folding chairs and table is nine hundred dollars. You're going to Hawaii, and it's like every episode he does that. Also, we should point out that when they win the grand prize, instead of like a confetti or anything, it really is just like the text that says the prize, and it just flashes on the screen sometimes with an yep. exclamation point to the new excitement. Mm-hmm. Paris. Yeah. Paris, Hong Kong, Tokyo, New York, Toronto, London, Portugal, Rome, <laughs> which by the way, I would say good, good prizes. Cause these are actually like, kind of like, even at the time, like six to $7,000 trips. So it's like actually a pretty good prize. No, the, these were, no, these are like, those would be like seven day trips. These are like three to four day trips. Oh, okay. So they were like. Two $3,000 trips. And then plus all the prizes of the 2500 mm-hmm. So they get about six grand, right? Yeah, usually between six and seven grand worth of prizes. And that's what I was kind of trying to go. And if not, they still get a lot of prizes. And that's also pretty fun. Uh- and I want to say this about prizes. Let's talk about prizes. Because even though. The prizes, you know, first I got to get some Maylox Max. Maylox Max. <laughs> oh, uh, Okay. All right, before we do that, the. Megastore version is maligned by game show fans because of all the blatant product placement. The podiums now have just giant shelves of M&Ms. Mm-hmm. Kodak film. Yep. Uh, <laughs> uh, or um, Snickers like, bars. Uh, uh, no, what was it at the uh, time? The, Fuse, uh, the... En- Fuse energy drinks. Fuse, yes. Now, I will say this about all these blatant plugs, and it's kind of important nowadays. Without these blatant plugs, there would be no show. Because I don't think uh, Bud Paxson at the time gave them that much of a budget. So they had to supplement that budget. So they went to all these places, say, we'll promote your stuff on air. You know, we'll have product placement here, here, here. And so they'll see your uh, product, you know, for all the 30 minutes that were on air. And that was, uh, and we'll also, if it ties into a game that we're going to have, We'll pull it out of uh, J.D. Roberto's uh, podium. Yes, it's terrible, but on the production side, it was kind of a, a necessary evil. Um, it's, just, no, uh, it's not as annoying as, say, Save to Win, 
No, well, here's the, also the problem with save to win. They never even bothered with uh, promotion items because all of it was their own brand stuff. Um, and at least with Shop 2 Drop the Warehouse doing the proc placement, yeah, it's kind of like a, a little obnoxious kind of thing with the Maylocks. You know, when, before I always uh, read a book, I always like to grab some stir, some Foster Grant glasses. <laughs> and it's the, but it's, even though that is kind of like hokey, at least by adding like a bunch of stuff in the foreground and background, it kind of does give the illusion of it actually is like a living, breathing shopping mall, though. Yep. I will also say this. Um, there's, I think it's still on YouTube. Um, there was one episode where they had a game called Shameless Plugs. And when it got picked, well, it was left for another team. JD would say, hey, this game is brought to you by nothing at all. <laughs> and they would have the canned applause. And he would just look up at the sky and say, thank you. That was, see, that's some humor, though. That's some good humor by J.D. Roberto. Now back to the prizes. Mm -hmm. Yep, back to the game. Um, he also knew that it was a necessary evil. The prizes? No, the plugging. Oh, the plug. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of poo-pooed the prizes for Shop to Drop. I will say that nowadays they're kind of in fashion. Like sure, it's nice to have... You know, these expensive trips and everything. But a lot of the houseware stuff that they gave away on that show is kind of warranted now. Think about... Actually, that's a good idea. Because a lot of the contestants were, like, couples. Like, they just probably mm -hmm. moved into a new house or they moved into a new apartment. And it's like, well, yeah, you need the new essentials for your home. It's almost like a yep. second honeymoon also in some regards to why they want to win the trip. Mm-hmm. So like, and they would giveaway stuff like uh they would have like appliances you know some cases like in like in pat finn's version like they would have a dishwasher or a range which or is like silverware silverware think classic wedding gifts like they would be in the mm -hmm. wedding uh list that no one would really buy because it's too expensive for their limit and they like you as a friend but not you know eight hundred dollars for a friend yeah there was some interesting prizes that they gave away like they gave away a popcorn cart uh, in the 97 episodes the retro classics the hot dog maker with the con candy maker with the snow cone machine uh, yeah that would be you could give that away in a bunch and anyway. you know if there was a modern day version and i think they yeah might have roomba would have been a definite prize of course, it would be definite prize. That's, or shark vacuums would be definite prizes. It's, 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 we're now like going into the, if we can reboot the show, what would we do here? Yeah, we've been going all over the place when it comes to Shop to Drop. Because there is so much you can go off of. The games are mm -hmm. clever. The hosting is good. J.D. Roberto, as much as he kind of stumbled a lot, he, got, he had to work with what he had to work with. I bet if he mm -hmm. had the mall format, he would have done amazing. Oh, yeah. But you got handed the AB version. An AB version of the game is just kind of a cheaper version of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the If you can imagine him interacting with the products and the products were used in the game, that would make a lot more sense. Yeah. The only time you actually really seem to have fun is in that shop to you drop around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and with a modern reboot, it, it's kind of good. It, there was originally, uh, I think like, was it three, four years ago? There was this hint at a reboot of Shop Till You Drop. Oh, God, I remember this. And it was like okay. this weird, <laughs> weird Shall CGI. We... Yeah, how do we explain this one? Have you ever seen a PlayStation 1 video game? Yeah. 
Now, oh, what God. if that PlayStation One video game also had like Google images of actual stores, like Sharper Image, uh, Brookstone, mm-hmm. which makes no sense because you had Sharper Image. Yeah. No, no, no. I was thinking about one further back than that. You're talking about the uh, pitch film a few years back. I got one even further back. Oh, no, no. Which which one are you talking about? Okay, this was like 2000. When did Sail the Century come? Oh, the Temptation. You can't hide the Temptation. No, 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 no. When Sail the Century got replayed on GSN, I think it was like 2012, 2013. Okay. Um,. I stumbled upon, I was searching for Shock 2 Drop. I was desperate. And, no, this was 2012. 2012, because that's when Sale of the Century came on. And I was talking about it with uh, Jim and Carl. And I found um, this website from David G. Stanley. And he was doing something with Pat Finn. And this was going to be a reboot. Um, they playtested a reboot of Shock 2 Drop. And they playtested one of the games. Pat looked uh, bored because this was more infomercial than anything else. They hot this um, cookie dough. You know, like, uh, I don't know where you live, um, but do you have sometimes middle schoolers or elementary schoolers? Oh, yeah, those cookie dough sales, kind of like like subscriptions to magazines. Otis Spunkmeyer cookie dough or something like that? Yes, Otis Spunkmeyer cookie dough. I I had that in middle school. And let me tell Mm -hmm. you, that stuff sucked. It was gross. Oh, yeah. I, don't and, like, I didn't. What I did was I didn't <laughs> sell it. I just kind of bought three on my own. That was it. Um. So what did they like, do with the cookie dough? All right. They well, they had the cookie dough prepared. Um. So they gave each of them a cookie to taste. And what one person had to do was that they did a shop to you drop game. Like uh, he would put a cookie in his mouth, and he would have to say a uh, brand, a type of cookie. Ooh. And then after he got one right. Yep, kind of like that. And then he got another one. He had to put another cookie in his mouth. These are small cookies, though, so it wasn't that bad. Like uh, thumbprint-style cookies. Okay. Um, but Pat Finn would have the cards, and they would have the uh, the second theme. You know, the... No, the well-known theme right. of Shop Pedro. And so they did that, and they won the game... And they got like fifty dollars worth of cookie dough and stuff like that. Wow. You know, sort of That's sort embarrassing, of like, <laughs> actually. Well, they probably got paid scale to do this thing too. So. It's like, hey, you remember me hosting Shop Till You Drop? Buy cookie mm-hmm. dough. And to me this was Can't believe eh. they had the same budget as the game plane. Oh my goodness, I remember the game plane. I used to record that for uh Rankerman. <laughs> it's but it was a similar budget. And if you're telling me they went mm-hmm. 50 bucks. <laughs> oh, they went 200 bucks. <laughs> wow. And they ripped off card and they ripped off card sharks for the end game. Hey, it's still better than a lot of formats I heard of. Oh yeah. Remember turbulence. When that was going to be a thing or labor games. No labor games actually did air. <laughs> yeah. That aired on, on Nick Elodian. They were t- trying to put that in the Nick mom block. Oh, and then they push it to believe to lifetime because of course you would. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, the shop till you, dr- but also shop till you drop only had one, I believe only one form. And this is going to be weird. I'm probably the only person in the game show world to actually play that shop till you drop mobile game. It also had a uh, slot machine. Yeah. A slot machine. Yeah. How would that like I, 2005, 2006? 
I could think maybe like if you get 2,500 credits, you get the jackpot. Okay, I could see that working. Yeah, but it was a slot it, game. It was interesting. You would pick uh, six boxes out of 14, and if you got 2,500. Okay, so it is similar to then. All right. Because mm-hmm. originally uh, in the... Also, it, we have to br- probably talk about that part. The switch off prizes... Originally, mm-hmm. it was kind of like actual prizes, like it was blenders and like vacuum cleaners. And eventually, it kind of became more gag items or small $100 or less items. Right, when they be- went to packs. But here's the thing. It was kind of a throwback to the gag items in the first season. Rubber chicken. Um, guitar strings. The velour jewelry box. I remember the balloon bag. That's all I remember was the bag of balloons. Because <laughs> it came across like a, we don't have enough items, so the prop department still has these balloons we have yet to inflate for the for the set. <laughs> <laughs> so can we just put them in the bag and call it a prize? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. It, to me, it, it's a fun show. Uh, the question now remains, should the show be rebooted? Um... Uh, mm, mm. Well, they're trying Supermarket Sweep. Now we're going to get CGI PlayStation 1 graphics displaying uh, a Chipotle for some reason. Yeah, we should explain this one because a pitch film came out a couple years ago where they had this CGI style mall and they would have all these stores. Like this was going to be two tiered, but there'd be the middle three stores and then up at the second one that have eight stores a four, four, four on one side, four on the other side and three on the bottom do it that way. No, they never um, continued with the idea. No, they never continued with the idea. Um, not only that, but, I believe there was some sort of like, we did not approve of this. Like we are like the IP holders and cause it's a battle of who owns it. Scott Stone or David G. Stanley, but they reunited and, and all that good stuff. So I think it's okay now. The problem is this. Is there a market for shop for a game show like Shop 2 Drop Again? Is it fondly remembered as Supermarket Sweep? Uh, um, to me, there's always a market for cheap filler game show programming. That's what Shop 2 Drop usually was, cheap filler programming. But you're going to have a high markup cost on building a set to start. I mean, that's why shows like America Says, Funny You Should Ask, uh, Common Knowledge, Best Ever Trivia Show, uh, The New Catch 21, and uh, 25 Words Less. Their sets, you would say they'd be minimalistic or cheap. This is a more flashier set because it requires, if you're going to, because it requires, requires building atmosphere. out the, the, the shelf, the shelves if you're doing warehouse or mm-hmm. stairs and flats if you're doing a mall. And for nowadays, you would have to do something along the lines of, you know, a megastore, like a Walmart or a Costco. You know, it's still the thing to to do or warehouse style. You know, those would be warehouse styles. It would like be. Costco would be warehouse style. You know, like I, here's where I'm coming from, because uh, I just because I, I, I sharp I shop at Target. I know things about so do I shop and I have. The Target app, and there's this feature called uh, "Buy to Store," and basically it's just like you can just buy everything that you were going to get at Target that day, and then some person who works at Target just puts everything in a bag, and you just go over there and pick it up. Mm-hmm. So if you're a lazy guy like Jordan here, you just walk over and just grab it, and it's like it's it's convenient. And I'm thinking, well, 
that's kind of what Target's going to try and do. And I'm assuming that's what Walmart will eventually go into. It's this wall. It's a warehouse as superstore motive that if you're mm-hmm. going to do a shop to drop reboot, it's going to end up being like an online shopping warehouse merger. Mm-hmm. And I've already said what I think should happen is just keep the same, like only just make it money. Just add money, not points. hundred bucks if you get it, fail, whatever. 200 bucks if you're right. And you call mm-hmm. it credit. And that credit goes to an online store like an Amazon. And that's how you make your money because you can sell this as an Amazon version of Shop Till You Drop. Or a green dot card or something like that. Yes. Uh, and you, you still keep the dream vacations. You still keep the small mm-hmm. prizes. All that still is the same because if you're doing online shopping, some of this stuff is already there. So your big right, promotion... And- is kind of the online store. So it could be Kmart shop till you drop. It could be Walmart shop till you drop. It could be. Oh, it's not going to be Kmart shop till you drop. Shop to win at Kmart. <laughs> no, that was, what was it? Sweep. Left. It was sweep at Kmart, the uh, Spanish supermarket sweep. Supermarket sweep at Kmart. They also had a show called uh, shop, shop to Win or something like that. Spend to Win. Spend to uh, win. Which was on We. Oh, the years ago. here's a pick an envelope. That's how much your credit is. You can spend as much of this money in one hour. Mm-hmm. That, that, I remember that, and it was like, if you go over just by one penny, you lose all of it. But as a consolation prize, they got to pick one item. Uh, con- consumerism, am I right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but then again, that's what a lot of game shows are nowadays. Game shows were back in the day. Those it was consumerism. Especially for the prices. I mean, Supermarket Sweep was essentially consumerism for just grocery stores. It was. I mean, uh, now we're getting deep. Now we're doing deep think into game shows, and I kind of don't want to do that anymore. I did that in college with Sale of the Century. I could, I, this is my podcast, and this is what I do. <laughs> no, uh, but in the deep lore, I would say you would have like a TV monitor too, just to have like the online store elements. So in round mm-hmm. one, if you complete your challenge, not only do you get your credit, you get to choose between one of three categories. In, in what looks like a fake online store. So it can say home goods, uh, or not like home goods, like sports, sporting goods. And it'll say uh, patio furniture, or then it'll say kitchen appliances. And then you can pick from those three categories. And then that becomes your... Well, just have it be seven. And you still have the uh, bonus. Oh, no, I'm going to say three and three. And then it's just smaller prices. So you, you get rid of the smaller... The, the shopper special because you're going to be cheap. You would get rid of that. I'd get rid of it. Just have three, but it's three prizes, and it's like in round one, it's like a hundred to five hundred bucks level prizes, and then round two, it's the bigger prizes. So you get rid of shopper special in favor of a bit more of the final round prizes. Well, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I would kind of. I like the idea of the. Oh, like here's seven no. items, seven categories. Mm-hmm. One's the shopper special. That could work too. Yeah. Like a big list. Yeah. Once the shopper special, you pick that one, you get the prize and a mini vacation of some sort. I mean, you the want mini vacation is Phoenix. Cool. Yeah, Mesquite. No, Mesquite, Nevada. Palm Springs. Uh, but I did, and other than that, just keep it saying. And then it's just find the host. Who could be the host? Now, JD Roberto, he his time is in the sun. He, he I think he shouldn't host it. No, I don't of think the ages, JD... you're good. Yeah. Uh, and that just got renewed for season two. Pat Finn, I like him a lot, but and, 
He's not like a nostalgic Holy- host. He's not like we were clamoring to get Pat Finn back in Shop Till You Drop. No, he's and it's kind of interesting about David Rubrick is he was a great host, but nobody was really clamoring for David Rubrick. They were just clamoring for the show. They didn't clamor for him, uh, it, which is unlike Double Dare, which they clamored for Mark Summers. And but then enough, again, they also, the UK version, they clamored for Dale Winton for Supermarket Sweep. Well, they had a revive. This would be the second time Supermarket Sweep was revived in the UK. This format of Supermarket Sweep, I should say, um, because Dale Winton did a revival in 2007 was okay but then ryan clark neal's now hosting it and we could go on a diatribe about that show which i don't want to get into because i think that show is just i i'm okay Mm -hmm. but it's this we got to figure out who would be the next filler no it's not me (laughs) you wouldn't do it no i mean like if they ask sure but like it's not like the i'm willing to throw myself into a campaign for Cindy, for shop till you drop, I would do it. Cindy Settlement for shop till you drop. <laughs> I would do this one. I grew up with this show, damn it. This is it. We finally found her campaign. Yep. Cindy for shop. For shop till you drop. Yep. Okay. Um, I would want somebody who is competent and personable like Pat Fend was back in the day. If I, if John Michael Higgins did not do America Says, I would say he would yeah. be my first pick. Um, he would be number one. You know who I think would number two would be? My, Mark, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I would pick Mark, Mark would Wahlberg. do it. Actually, forget John Michael Higgins. Mark Wahlberg's my number one pick. And then Higgins? And then Higgins. Because he he's likable and lovable, and I would rather get one of those. Because uh, uh, then otherwise you're going to be stuck with like social media influencer because you're doing an online-themed like, version. Because if this version is online shopping-based, of course like the games are going to be like hashtag blah blah. Or it's an AB game. Do they have more followers than Justin Bieber? Which hardly anybody does. Anyway, but I don't mind that that type of game. I mean, because you're keeping up with the times. Exactly. Like, I remember back in when JD Roberto did uh, Shop to You Drop, I think it was like the second season, they had a game about reality shows. Is this a real reality show or no? And they never used the actual graphics. They just had the text. Yeah. You know, copyright and all that fun stuff. And this is, I believe, like, like Top Chef just debuted. If I remember mm-hmm. correctly, Top Chef just debuted. That's another show that I remember vividly. Like, he had the first uh, show, the first uh, host, uh, Katie Lee. Yeah, but everyone just remembers Padma. Well, Katie Lee was the first one, and she sucked. Padma, though. that no. Padma's fantastic. I love her a lot. Like, that's one of those, you know, I don't normally say, like, who would you be a friend? Like, would you want this person to be your friend and a host? Because, you know, personality is just there as a, you know, just to sell the show and parasocial relationship. I bet Padma would be a lot of fun to actually hang out with. Absolutely. Have you seen the episode of Hot Ones with uh, Padma on it? Yes. <laughs> that's what makes me love her that much. And plus, she does have, like, a culinary background. She definitely knows what she's mm-hmm. talking about and when she got interviewed with stuff. Mm-hmm. And has a very funny Twitter account. Yeah. Um, um, what are, like, what's... what, Christy Teigen should host Shop Till You Drop? Like, no. Like... By the way, screw Christy Teigen. Chicago-style deep-dish pizza is pizza. Get over yourself, you foodie Nazi bastard. I'm pretty sure it's a cake. <laughs> screw you. <laughs> They say it's a pie, but where's the crust? 
There's crust and deep dish pizza. I call. I mean, I, to, if we're going to get in the food assignment, I, I think a Chicago deep dish is kind of more like a lasagna. I would, I would call it a pizza because it uses the same sauce and the toppings are in layers. Yeah, the toppings are kind of layered, but the reputation gets so blown out of the water. I would eat it's, it. I mean, like, either over... way, I'd eat it. If you had handed me a Chicago deep dish, I would eat it. I would give a shit. It's pizza. Fucking who gives a shit? Give me the give me the pizza. Give me the baseball game. We're having a good time. All right, then a couple, and then we'll walk a half a mile. We'll go to Wrigley Field and we'll see the Cubs. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, all the uh, White Sox fans are <laughs> going to send complaint notices. <laughs> no, they're kind of jealous. Oh, definitely. I've been, I've been to Guaranteed Rate Field back when it was U.S. Cellular Field. Uh, in <laughs> that place is. Eh. So I like that. That I, it, I think it's potential, but it has to be either an online thing like Amazon Prime, a GSN show with a lot of product placement, or it just has to like be like, or a, or it's not going to happen, or it's not going to happen. It, it so it's there's a lot of th- I can't see this being like on ABC Summer Funny Games, for instance. This has to be like a GSN or an Amazon special. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, no, no. By the way, um, while we're doing this show, I got Buzzer on, and they just did something interesting, which I kind of want to talk about. They just aired a retro commercial for the all-new Let's Make a Deal. The, the 80s version? Yeah. Ooh. Plugging the next episode of Let's Make a Deal. That will air tomorrow. And I think that's kind of cool that they're doing this for certain shows. That's a good throwback. Now, is that because mm-hmm. uh, Fremontal got the rights to the promotions and they did the promotions themselves, or did they kind of ask like NBC at the time? Well, this was the '84 version, so it was syndicated. So Kados and all owned all the promotional. Okay, so then they would have the rights. So they have the rights. That reminds and me. And I of... think they also just got the rights to Split Second, which is a show I kind of want to see revived. Well, that's going to be for a future episode of Game Shows, yeah. I suppose. We'll Be- talk about sports. Before we get to the sign-off, uh, it's time for the speed round, Cindy. Oh, we're not going to review Misery Index, or are you going to do that on your own? I'm doing that on my own. That's going to... Oh, that's no fun. I'll tell you about Misery Index. I'll give you my own short review right now. Uh, tune into Game Show Gum- the Gumbo and the Gumbo Cast to hear about my thoughts on that show. All right. On a scale of 1 to 100, where does it rank on the Misery Index? Well, tell me, uh, let's see, uh, your father botching your own circumcision? Uh, I would say a 79. Ooh, that's pretty high on the Misery Index, though. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't know what backwater place you are at where your father had to do your uh, vasectomy or circumcision or anything like that. Well, you know, we are in a healthcare crisis in this country, Cindy. Oh, trust me, I know that. <laughs> but... Before I am, you don't think I know about healthcare crisis? But for for, <laughs> I mean, now you're making me really feel like a second class. That's that's an inside joke between the two of us. I know. Now you're making me feel like more of a second class citizen. Thanks a lot. I don't fuck. What the fuck? Great. I'm canceled. Thanks, Cindy. I'm canceled. Uh, hey, I already <laughs> took over one of your shows prior. Anyway, so Cindy, in the speed round, there's five questions, sixty seconds. For each one you get right, you get one. Free plug. Okay. You get all of them right, you get five free plugs. You want to play or do you want to pass? I'll play. Alrighty. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Mm-hmm. Who was the best assistant on Shop Till You Drop? Uh, D. Bradley Baker. WWE Cookbook, $25, higher or lower? Uh, lower. 
What is the name of the fake warehouse in Shop Till You Drop? Um, the Megastore. What is your favorite wrestling tag team? The Harlem Heat. Favorite store in Shop Till You Drop? 24 Carats. Done. Five for five. <laughs> All right, Cindy. You're not, uh, well, you hear the background noise from Hollywood Squares. What are you going to plug? <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, I'm going to plug uh, Game Show Gumbo, which is the show that you help uh, research for and write, um, where we take a look at all the best highlights. And today was a doozy on Funny You Should Ask, so you're going to expect a Funny You Should Ask highlight. Thank you, Whitney Cummings. It was either Whitney, I mean, turn between two, because we got Whitney Cummings not knowing what the color green is, or Louis Anderson raging about not getting ketchup at McDonald's. So, I, I mean, between the two, I'd pick Whitney, but I mean... Yeah. It is a fat joke for, for Louie, so... Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I want to plug is the GumboCast, the podcast version of Game Show Gumbo, which you have been on and filled in admirably for the past three episodes. Jessica will be coming back for episode 10, and we're going to be talking about Misery Index. We'll be doing a review of that, hopefully. Um, we're also talking about the cancellation of Confetti, um, talking about ratings which is quite important about the new shows and a couple other odds and ends and some uh, listener uh, Q and a also, I'm going to plug my Patreon for game show gumbo, www.patreon.com slash game show gumbo, where we uh, basically uh, you give us money and we give you early access to the gumbo cast and you, we get enough uh, uh, support on that front. We do it once a week, uh, not only for the gumbo cast, but also game show gumbo on various fronts. And if we get to a magic number of like 5,000, we do it every day. A brand new episode of Game Show Gumbo every day. That's a lot of game shows to watch in a day. (laughs) Holy shit. That means I have to do a lot of research. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we do two a day. Oh, no, no. All that fun stuff. Now now you're getting to Wrestling Observer Live to Brian and Vinny show territory. (laughs) Minus five stars me that's how would you why are you being so cruel to the misery index what i gave the misery index three stars all right minus three or positive three positive three all right i like the misery index. i gave mine a, a b i gave it a solid b thanks all right um two more plugs left i also want to plug uh angry marks which is a wrestling website www.angrymarks see some of my wrestling commentary over there or writings and all that good stuff I'm also starting a new series over there called Inside the Coliseum, or Views from the Coliseum, actually, where I have a collection of Coliseum videos, and I review them. Are you going to do, like, the best of Stone Cold and... That's not Coliseum, that's WWF home video. Okay, so we're so you're, that means you're going way into, like, the era of of uh, Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yep. I have, like, 57 of these tapes. Um, I have Rumble 92, Most Outrageous Matches, Best of the WWF Volumes 3 and 4, Super Tape Volume 2, Battle of the WWF Superstars, a lot of that old stuff. Was the Body Slam Challenge a Coliseum video? No. Um, the uh, With Lex Luger? Yeah. And all that stuff? No, that was never released on home video. <laughs> I just um, want to watch Yokozuna just knock out NFL players. It's on the WWE Network. 999, folks. 999. Don't ignore the crown jewel. Please ignore uh, Vince McMahon trying to please Mohammed bin Salman. Oh, you mean a Saudi blood money for now with even more uh, bone saws? The super greatest ultimate Royal Rumble. Yeah. We're going to have a hundred. <laughs> We're going to have a hundred superstars. 
and having them fake, like they had this yeah. Baba Tunde guy who was supposed to be a sumo wrestler just because Mohammed bin Salman thought he was Yokozuna. Good time to, I guess. I mean, you have a fifth plug. <laughs> but <laughs> might, <laughs> might I give some some suggestions? <laughs> like maybe, I don't know, AEW Dynamite, AEW Dark, <laughs> NWA Power. I would, uh, how about that for the fifth plug? NWA Power, great throwback show. I thoroughly enjoy it. Tuesday, 6 o'clock on YouTube Eastern. Eastern time on YouTube, 3 p.m. Pacific time. It's always up there, and it's always good watching. It's a studio. It's a studio-based game show. Uh, not game show. No, it's, it's not a game show. <laughs> With Jim Cornette <laughs> playing game show host. <laughs> I don't think Jim Cornette would make a good game show host. He would. I mean, like, I would like him in some sort of like annoying capacity but no like he would just compare er he would think anyone who got a question wrong is a trump supporter and then like get angry and block at them. him on twitter it's like he doesn't care if you voted for ocasio cortez he doesn't care if you're in the dsa you uh get a trivia question wrong about uh who was in the midnight express he would get angry at you mm-hmm. it, it's just uh but no, India really and powers then, it. And then he'll go 20 minutes of why Marco Stunt shouldn't be a star. Keep it. No, keep Marco Stunt as a star. I think he has this great potential to be like this Stranger Things kind of persona character. He mm-hmm. has. But the thing is, like, Logan is not in the picture. Imagine if Logan and Marco are in the picture together. Yeah. The real secret is Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Now, that's the winning combo. Mm-hmm. Also, did you say Harlem He was your favorite tag team? Uh... What, uh, Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy? Yeah, well, no, you, you said, I think Harlem Heat was your favorite tag team on the speed round. Yeah, Harlem Heat. At least the Booker T. You're uh, right. I think it, it's, it, that, that's a real throwback to, all right. Mm-hmm. I think we're now just getting, dipping into wrestling territory. Well, we spent a good 90 minutes talking about Shop to You Drop. That makes sense. So, mm-hmm. why not have a wrestling podcast on this side? <laughs> Cindy I already said, did one. I don't want to do another one. I did one for four years. Cindy, thank you so much for stopping by. Please <laughs> check out Game Show Gumbo. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I'll be back. Thank you so much, Cindy, for stopping by. You can go check out Gumbo Cast. I recently was a guest for that uh, wonderful podcast. Also... I don't think the NWA plug is definitely going to hold up anymore. Uh, whoops. Uh, oh, well. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy talking about Shop Till You Drop. It's one of my favorite game shows. I, I think it, it could be brought back. Still confused by what to do. But uh, time must be moving on. And it's time now for the 110-part series, exploring every pricing game on The Price is Right. This is Pricing Game Spotlight. One away! Premiere date, December 4th, 1984, 5512D. Finale date, Bob Barker era, June 13th, 2007, 4033K. Premiere date, Rudrew Carey, October 16th, 2007, 4042K. Year of order, October 29th, 2007. 
in one way. Each digit on a fake retail price of a car price is one way, up or down from the correct digit. After guessing the numbers, the contestant asked the question, Ladies, gentlemen, oh my silent effects lady, do I have at least all X numbers right? Gameplay, the contestant has shown an incorrect price for the car covered in black, with each digit one higher colored in blue or lower colored in red than the actual digit in the price. Zero and nine are considered to be one away from each other in this game. The contestant is asked to change each digit to the correct digit. After all di five digits are changed, contestant is requested to ask the backstage directors who specifically have changed the history if they have one, then two, then three, then four, then five numbers right in order. It's met with a car horn each time the answer is yes. On the game's first playing, a series of bells were heard. If every number is wrong, a contestant loses automatically. A very rare event that occurred only twice. See below. Uh-oh. Uh, otherwise, the contestant is given one more opportunity to change however many digits they have wrong without being told which specific digits are correct. The price is then revealed one digit at a time until the result is determined or inferred by the number of digits changed. Perhaps, ironically, one of the best outcomes the contestant could have done is to only have one number right after the first round of picks because the first number of a car's price is almost always obvious. So, so in case you've never seen it, it's basically like uh, you see two, six, four, eight, five. Two, six, four, eight, five, and then uh, you're told, well, it's not 26,485. That two is the first digit one or three. It's not a six. Is it a five or a seven? It's not a four. Is it a three or a five? For the 85 part, then the eight, is it nine or is it seven? And then for the five, is it a four or a three? Then you hear the, do I have one number right? Do I hear two right? Do I have three right? And then my favorite part is when they don't get it right. Do I have four right? And then the audience goes, oh, and they have to make the change. I like that. And my history. One away, first premiered December 4th, 1984. 5512D during his playing, it was one. One away was played for cars less than $10,000 during the 80s with a dollar sign placed on its first trilon. In the early 90s, it was frequently played for luxury cars. The game itself made it easily compatible for four-digit cars and five-digit cars. One Away has been played for five-digit cars exclusively since April 6, 1989. Though the board was the same throughout the years, May 17, 2000, the One Away neon sign was removed and replaced with a regular sign due to repeated malfunctions with the neon. During Barker's tenure, contestants were instructed to ask ladies, or until February 27, 1995, gentlemen, do I have at least one number right? On its first playing, however, Bob asked the gentleman how many numbers she had right, and dings were used instead of horns. And Bob said, I want to do it with a little horn. Uh, and asking how many numbers she has right, each digit was numbered one by one until the final digit revealed. With that playing, Bob would ask ladies, gentlemen, how many numbers we have right, followed by a series of honks by the number of correct digits. 85, the format changed to what it is today. Drew Carey instructs the contestants to ask, oh, mighty sound effects, lady. He was offered a variety of adjectives over the tenure. Usually the contestants asked to kneel while asking. Sometimes in this case, the change is, do I win the car? On the short-lived Doug Davidson version A4, contestants asked, people in control. Whenever the game was played on Tom Kenny's syndicated version, instead of the contestants asking me how many numbers were night, Tom did so himself without addressing anyone. The original horn was also shorter and louder than the familiar one used today. 
On February 23rd, 1988, contestant playing a Ford incarnation of One Away lost by getting no correct numbers on her first try. On March 3rd, 1989, the mistake took when a third digit was a one was the wrong number, while the actual price had six as the third number. While contestant did lose the car, as a result, was where the card began in the second showcase showdown. On May 28th, 1990, contestant uh, lost the game on her first try. The audience booed at her selected price, which Bob humorously chid at the audience by saying, Now look, don't start throwing things. You might hit me. Audience didn't laugh at their... They asked, you know, number one, gentlemen were silent and then played the losing horns. Mark wasn't sure what that meant, that she had no numbers right, and asked him, was that a horn? And was dismayed to know the correct price was 30973 instead of 12751 yeah, no numbers right. Claimed it happened once before. Bob explained shows a one as the first number and a three. It was a Lincoln Mark uh, 7, by the way, which is why the audience booed. A male in the audience yelled, give it to her. Bob jokingly and sarcastically responded, give it to her, and chided that response, saying, I'm about as apt to give it to her as I am to give her my house. The man humorously replied, give her your house. Okay, that's kind of funny. Uh, the horn sound effect uh, normally played for this game was mistakenly used at first when the mountain climber fell off the cliff during cliffhangers instead of the normal noise. On uh, February 22nd, 2008, Million Dollar Spectacular, Drew Carey hosted. Million Dollar Bones was offered if they got all of them right on the first attempt. During an October 2008 taping, one of the models, Tamiko Nash, assisted during the trilons. This was the one-time solution as Drew Carey was injured at the time. That episode was originally scheduled for December, aired out of order. Was played in the same manner. Uh, Carrie asked the number of correct answers. Uh, due to time constraints, the showcase had a day of the Bull and Beautiful appearances at the time, so they had to just speed them up. On April Fool's Day 2010, uh, Mimi from the Drew Carey Show took over as the sound effects lady and triggered the horn from her desk on a turntable. On October 17, 2014, Dream Car Week, a Tesla was played where 79320 was offered to a woman named Vanessa. All right. June 22, 2016, played for a Mini Cooper worth 22050 Got all five numbers around the first try with increasingly dramatic bribes with the Mighty Sound Effect lady. On October 10, 2016, uh, Tracy was asked, Oh, my Tiffany of the deal, because probably a mashup week. On May 25, 2018, Another person got all five numbers around the first try. Trivia time! The most number of times this game was played in any season was 34. As there are 32 combinations possible, the contestant has two chances to guess. The chance of winning the game is 1 in 16. One away is one of seven pricing games seen in the second taping session of season 36, which is seen in October 16, 2007. In foreign versions, one way is played versions of the price of numerous countries, including anywhere from four to six digits, and generally holding true to its American rules. The only version to be known to be different is the 1980s UK version. On that one, it is played with prices with three digits, and contestants were given only one chance to guess the price. On most foreign versions of the show, contestants are simply given a series of bell after the first turn to indicate how many numbers are right. Uh, in the Netherlands, though, their version asks the contestants for bells one at a time, although the question is asked at the announcer instead of a sound effects person. In a Vietnamese version, contestants have 60 seconds to guess the price as many times as they want as time permits. After putting in the combination on the board, contestant pushes a button to know whether it's right or wrong. First, each of the price is usually correct, and thus the contestant doesn't need to guess. Uh, I guess that's fascinating. I like One Away. It's one of my favorite car games on the show. I uh, Red is, of course, uh, a nice way to signal low. Blue is to signal high. 
and you get the audience playing along with you. If you make a mistake, they try and correct it. I enjoy it so much. Uh, next time on the Pricing Game Spotlight, let's do the bump. Jeez, I'm getting sick. I usually get sick near the end of the episode. But anyway, I saw a new game show in, of course, the UK, because that's where all the game shows are. Uh, It's a new game show called The Switch, and it airs on a channel called ITV. It's hosted by a man, a very funny man named Sanjeev Vaskar, and it's basically a nice quiz show, which doesn't utilize any of his comedic chops at all. It happens. Anyway, uh, so the show is essentially a, a daily quiz show. UK people love quiz shows where you win like a few thousand pounds and then there's an all or nothing scenario. But uh, here here we go. Uh, it's a dull quiz. It feels like it belongs on the BBC, but it's really an ITV show. Uh, there's a nice phrase I heard on the show. It's easy to get rich if you avoid the switch. Yep, okay. So uh, the game is basically played in two... It's played in each round. is like two halves. The first round's an easy money round, and then the second round is the switch round. So, I I mean, in easy money in round one, it's 100 pounds for every correct answer you get in 45 seconds. The catch is in your individual round, there's things that's like, oh, all of these things start with the letter B, or all of these answers include the word north, and, and you answer questions uh, selectively. Uh, in round two, because the money does not matter. How well you do in that round does not matter. What matters is in the second part, the switch. It's played in, once again, another two halves. But instead of an easy money 45 seconds round, it's uh, three toss-up questions. Because there are three categories on the board. A player buzzes in, and if they give a correct answer, they can either lock in one of the three categories shown, uh, left, middle, and right, which is the turn order, Q1, Q2, Q3. They can lock it in, or they can switch out one of those categories for something else. For instance, if you're not good at history, you can switch it out, and it can be television or it could be movies, or it could be geography. It's all completely random, and they do not know what category is coming next. They just know they can switch. So it's a stick or, or twist situation, or in this case, uh, a stick or switch situation. <laughs> anyway, after all three questions are asked uh, to lock in the categories, they begin the, the actual switch round. In question one, there is four answers. Three are right, one is wrong. To pick one of the answers, you have to do a qualifying question, which is in that subject. You buzz in, you answer correctly, you get to pick your answer. Who? And then, kind of like 101 Ways to Leave a Game Show, three are right, one is wrong. If you get the one that's wrong, you are gone. Well, not necessarily gone quite yet, because there's three questions which makes this a little bit more agonizing in my in my uh, regard. So when you are, quote-unquote, switched out of the game, you're not switched out of the game yet. You're basically no longer allowed to pick an answer. 
So now in round one, where there's four contestants, it's going to be for question two, three players playing a qualifying question to get one of the remaining four answers. And they get to pick, and then you're left with whatever's left standing. If they make a mistake and pick an answer that is not in common with the answer, such as uh, which one of these is a river in Asia, or which of these is a best picture winning movie, something like that, it will be in the switch. Uh, it doesn't matter until the third and final question. So question two, if you screw up, then you're the one that's in the in the frozen spot. In question three, uh, it is the elimination question. So whoever is stuck with the wrong answer on question three is eliminated. Because you might be switched in question two uh, or in this question, you could be left out to be stuck with an obvious wrong answer. And that means an instant elimination. But it could be anybody. It could even be the person in the first place from the easy money round. So then we're left with three players. We do the whole thing again, but this time with $200 uh, in each easy money round. We have another 45 seconds. And then we do another switch round with another three categories, but this time with three people, which means two are right, one is wrong. Rinse, repeat. We have one player being eliminated after the third question of the three that has been locked in. We go to round five with the final two. It's 300 pounds per correct answer. Same clue thing. Just like it kind of reminds me of Pyramid in a way. Like these are all things you might find in the house. These are all things you might find in a movie theater. Uh, then you do another switch. But with the final switch, this is the twist. There's only one question left that's a qualifier. And that is the most crucial qualifying question because you get to decide uh, if you want to pick the right or the wrong one. If you pick right, you continue. Wrong is switched. And whoever continues picking the correct answer of the three stays in the game. So when you're in question three, whoever's in position has a 50-50 chance of staying alive in the game. The person who picks the wrong answer, because it's only a 50-50 chance, A-B, uh, stays in the game. Whoever picks the wrong answer is out, and that last player standing is today's winner and goes on to the final switch. The winner's shown their bank. Uh, for the sake of making this simplistic, 4,000 pounds. Uh, all they have to do is do a combination of a switch round and an easy money round all by themselves. They get three questions. For every question that they get right of these three, they can switch one of the three categories that will be crucial to them in the final round. Uh, there's no point in locking one in, by the way. I, I mean, you could, uh, but after three questions, uh, the round begins. They have 45 seconds to go through one question each of the three categories. There's no multiple choice now. It's just on the nose. For instance, history, television, music, or books, geography, medicine. Uh, if you can go through one quote-unquote circuit of three answers, you get half your money. So your 4,000 pounds that you've accumulated is 2,000. If you can, if you have any remaining time, because they freeze the clock, you can go back again and go through another three. If you can do that, that's 4,000 pounds. That's the amount you had. If you are gutsy enough and you have any time left, you can try and go for one final circuit. You get nine answers. You can double your money, in which case it's 8,000. But there's no need to lock in a category. It's not necessary. Of course, you need to have the British fuck you, you lose everything mechanic. And that comes in the form of... If the contestant fails to get the three answers during the time limit and the 45 seconds is gone, 
they leave with nothing. So if you go through three, you decide to risk the 2,000 for 4,000. But if you can't finish it, you lose everything. So, ugh. I mean, it's a nice play along. The, the host should be more fun and interesting. He is very hilarious on stand-up and interviews. So this show is very dry with him as the host. It feels cheap because it's all just screens. At no point does it really feel like the, the, the clue wheel that's used is a real wheel. It feels like it's just already been predetermined before the game even began. Uh, and I feel like the show needs to be sped up a bit. There really isn't anything in these easy money rounds. It really is just for the eventual final and to practice for the 45-second clock that's the grand finale. That's about it. I give this uh, letter grade a, just a solid C. It's an average show. There is play along, but it's too dry of a format that seeing it just kind of let me know like how boring a lot of UK game shows are. And to me, it feels like they all come in different flavors. It's either this kind of quiz show format or it's a task-based format. And when I mean task-based, it's usually just like some variation of the Carnival Wire game. And I, look, I think we can do a lot better than these two kind of formats. There has to be a much better format out there. No matter how many times I see this, it just gets me thinking, maybe I should just watch Deal or No Deal reruns. I just, just watch repeats of Deal or No Deal. Because at least I feel like that's a different kind of game show. So that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, what kind of game shows do you want me to talk about? Uh, let me know on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to rate the podcast five stars. Give a subscription. Tell your friends about the show. We are on the Buzzcast and the Family of Networks. And um, and follow me on Twitter at JordHa, J-O-R-D-H-A. Uh, There's some more episodes of this at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. And until next time, well, I, I hope you have a great night. Uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. And next week we'll be talking about our great game show, I suppose. Until then, big smooch. Mwah!